Fantastic um, morning it already is. It's, it happens every Easter. Um, every Easter is just a little different, isn't it? Easter's different than any other day. Uh, the, the, the sun typically shines a little bit brighter. Um, the thunder thunders a little bit louder, I guess. Uh, you, you're, Lily, Lily, help me out. Your clothes are a little more on fleek, on point. Uh, the little fresher, right? Uh, lunch is always incredible, right? It's just it's a great, great day. Um, have you ever stopped to think about what Easter really is about? So, so here's the deal. A lot of times with Easter, um, we, we think about a lot of things, and, and I, I'm not saying we don't think about Easter. I'm just saying maybe we could think about it a little bit more or in a little deeper terms. Um, I'm sure you've thought about Easter and you've thought about um, Jesus. I'm sure you've thought about Easter and you've thought about the resurrection. I'm sure you've thought those things, right? Um, if, if you came to the Good Friday service, didn't Tyler and those guys kill it? It was incredible if you came to the Tenebrae service where we just looked at shadows and the darkness of Good Friday and all of that. So uh, I'm sure you've thought about Easter through all that. But, but have you ever asked kind of some deeper questions like, I don't, where, did, where did the word Easter even come from? I mean, have you ever gone to that level or just deeper than I'm celebrating Easter and the resurrection? Have you ever thought about it maybe in, in deeper terms? Why is it the Super Bowl of Christianity? Uh, it, it is. It is our Super Bowl. I mean, Christmas is awesome. And I love putting... Well, I mean, I don't put lights in my yard. I love you putting lights in your yard. Um, I, I love all that. I, I love the gifts and I love all of those things. But man, Easter trumps Christmas um, because without Easter, we're still stuck in our sin. And, and so it's just a, it's a deeper thing. It's kind of like when I was growing up. I guess the question I'm asking is, we used to go to the doctor, and when we'd go to the doctor, my mom always took us afterwards. And I'd love by show of hands, who else's moms did this? After you went to the doctor, you got to go eat ice cream? Okay. Or get a treat of some kind? Yeah. There's a lot of us like this, which is, which is really phenomenal, right? We're going to the doctor to see if we're healthy, and then we're going to go <laughs> feed our faces with ice cream, right? Uh, so, so if you would have asked me as a child, what, what is going to the doctor all about? I mean, my answer would have been, I get ice cream. Like, that's what I would have told you. Um, And and that was my surface-level understanding of the doctor. But the more that I think about it now, and and the more mature I've gotten, well, at least the older I've gotten, the older I've gotten, I think about the doctor in a different way. So when I go to the doctor now, the last thing on my mind is ice cream. (laughs) The first thing on my mind is they're going to pull out that cuff. And all of you nurses and y'all's cuffs that you stick on people's arms. Like all you nurses are giving me blood pressure, right, like it's high right now. You, you come in there with your cuff and all of a sudden you're like, do you have high blood pressure? And I'm like, well, I do now because you just pulled the cuff out. Um, or I know that you're going to check my colon or my liver or my spleen or my abdullah oblongata, um, <laughs> which as we all know, which is why alligators are ornery, right? Because <laughs> they don't have one. Uh, I think about all of these things, but here's my point in all that. My point is, is the deeper that I've thought about the doctor, the more I understand, and it's just a deeper level, and I have a deeper appreciation. That's the question I'm asking you. Have you ever thought about Easter on a grand narrative perspective? And if God is gracious to us today, that's all I want to do. 
I want to look at the grand narrative of Easter rather than just, well, this guy rose from the dead. Because I'm telling you, church, it is so much more than that. And it culminates in that, man, it is so much deeper than that. So if God would be gracious, we're going to do this together through just a few minutes. Let's look at this, three questions. I want to ask you three questions and then I want to scroll through them. Number one, looking at the grand narrative, just what is in the Word? What is in the Word Easter? Like where did that even come from? And it may shock some of you that the word Easter is never found in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's only found in... The King James Version, one time in Acts chapter 12, but even in the revision of that, they removed Easter because that's not the word. Uh, The word Easter is never found there. What you find is this word. Um, In the Hebrew, you're going to see Peshach. Uh, And in the Greek, you're going to... We'll see Peshach. I don't know. You're going to see these words right here, okay? And these words are used a combined total of 78 times. And every single time, even in Acts chapter 12, the one time that that it was loosely translated but then corrected, it's this word right here. Every single time referring to this season, some of you guys already know this, the word is actually what? What's it going towards? Pass. You can say it out loud, pass. It's Passover. Yeah. So Passover is the word that we have. And so the question would be, if we're looking at the grand narrative and the word is Passover, then what is Passover? What exactly is that and how does that speak to our souls today? Well, if you've studied the Bible, that's great. And you may know some things about Passover. But I want to speak to the people in the room who, who you're here and you go, I've never studied that. I don't. Here's the deal. Man, you're in a safe place at Safe Haven. You are welcome here, and we're going to all learn this together and chew through it. We're just going to we dive into the text. I'm glad you're here, man. So, so what exactly is Passover? Let's look at this. <clears throat> is, it, is it bigger? Is there something bigger than just what we typically think of in the Passover in terms of Exodus? Because if you've studied the Bible at all, you may think the Passover just goes back to the Exodus. And I want to ask the question, is, is it bigger than that? Let's take a little journey together. And I think I can show you that Passover is way bigger than that. And it will make your deviled eggs or resurrection eggs <laughs> taste. T- Easter eggs, they'll make them taste way better this morning. Okay? Let's look at the grand narrative. Let's journey all the way back to creation. Boom! We get to creation. Everything was awesome. In the beginning, I mean, church, we've been studying through Genesis now for like a month. In the beginning, God created. And it was incredible. And he said, this is what I want you to have forever with me in creation, my creation, us walking together in the garden in the cool of the day. Troy, we're not here celebrating creation. We're celebrating Easter. Well, how, what does this have to do with anything? Well, you'll remember, what happened right after creation was the fall. And right after the fall occurs, all of a sudden... Adam and Eve are sitting there. They discover they're naked and and they're like, whoa, what do we do? And God looks at them and he says, have you sinned? And in their sin, they are exposed. And then Jesus, fast forward, go back to the father at this point. The father says, listen, here's your punishment for sin. Here's the curse. This is broken. You can't have this. But he goes and he kills an animal, slays it, flays it open, blood sacrifice and says, I will cover you. I will pass over what you've done. 
And there's a little droplet of blood up there. You'll see this is a theme that kind of continues on. And right in creation is our first Passover moment. And then after creation, we move this a little bit down the timeline. And all of a sudden, we move to the pyramids of Egypt. Boom! And we've got the plagues. It's what we typically think of a Passover, right? You'll remember what goes on in this moment. The nation of Israel has fallen. They've fallen from that. They can't go back to that. They just continue in their sin. Even though the fathers covered them with a blood sacrifice, they continue to do what's right in their own eyes. And they land themselves in slavery. (laughs) So here we are in slavery. Pharaoh is sitting there and he's got his heavy hand upon them. And God comes up and he says, I'm going to... I'm going to let you go. I'm going to free you. Here's how I'm going to free you. Here's how I'm going to pass over. I'm going to send some, I'm going to send some things. And he sends a bunch of plagues. You remember the plagues. I mean, he sends flies. And then he sends gnats. And then he sends frogs. And then he turns the water uh, into blood. And then he, 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 all of the livestock gets um, diseases all over him. And then he sends the bulls. And he sends all of these things. And this finally goes all the way through ten plagues. And the last plague is a blood sacrifice. And in that moment, he says, here's what's going to happen. To set you free, I'm going to kill all firstborn. It doesn't matter if it's a firstborn cat, a firstborn dog, a firstborn goat, a firstborn child, a firstborn whatever. All the firstborn, I'm going to kill them all. But here is how you are passed over. You go and you slaughter some animals. You take the blood and you put the blood on your doorposts. Put it on the right, put it on the left, put it on the lintel up top. Spread the blood everywhere. And when I come to wipe out of the firstborn, I will pass over your sin when I see this through the blood sacrifice. Creation. Plagues. Now here's a little curveball. The next one. The law. In just a second. Magic finger. Boom. <laughs> Yeah, I do have a clicker thing, but don't worry. All right, so we get creation, we get the plagues, and then we get the law. And you go, no way. Easter is not in the law. It's absolutely in the law. You remember the law. There are ten commandments that are given. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Right? And all those ten are hard enough to obey. But I'm sure there's some scholar in here that knows there were way more than ten commandments. There were how many? 613. 613 commandments given in the law. And it's a list of do and don'ts. And then those do's and don'ts, the whole point was to get the nation of Israel to see you can't obey all of these, which is exactly what Romans chapter 3 says. Romans chapter 3 says the law could never atone and the law was meant to get you to look at these laws, and there was laws in all kinds of things, how to garden. Uh, there was laws in menstruation. There was laws in what kind of clothes could be matched together. By the way, this is one time for a tie. The only other time is if you're getting married or dead, right? Uh, so, you, so all of these things, uh, you had clothes you could mix. You had um, when you could build a fire, when you could not build a fire, what kind of foods you could eat, what kind of foods you could not eat. And again, the whole point was so that they would go, oh my gosh, I can't do all of this. I'm a failure. And it was supposed to arouse their understanding of their sinfulness. It was supposed to arouse their need for a Savior. 
one who could pass over. And so even in the law, he said, listen, do all these things. By the way, you're going to botch them up. And when you botch them up, there has to be a blood sacrifice. And in this blood sacrifice, you can read this in Exodus for yourself. But I'm just telling you right now, church, you don't want to have a church service like they used to have in the temple in the tabernacle. It was a bloody mess. Now, you think it's all kind of sad and everything when, when somebody up here, I don't know, gets a hangnail or something. It was a mess. There was slaughtered animals everywhere. As a matter of fact, if you read this passage, you'll see that they took the blood and they would sling it against the wall and they would sling it on the ark and they would take the blood and they would wipe it on each other's right ear. I don't know why not the left ear. They would smear it. It was blood everywhere. And in that moment, the father would say, I will pass over your sin temporarily. Are you starting to see the grand narrative? Let's keep going. So we've got creation. And then out of creation, we've got the plagues. And then we've got the law. And then all of a sudden, we've got the prophets. And the prophets pop on the scene. And the prophets' grand narrative are not going to say anything different. As a matter of fact, they're going to say the exact same thing. And here's what they're going to say. They're going to say, listen, you need one that will come and you need one that will not just sacrifice bloods and bulls and goats and all this kind of stuff, but you need one that will come and he himself will be the sacrifice. You've killed blood, you've killed bulls, you've killed lambs, but now there's got to be a human sacrifice, but not only a human sacrifice, a simultaneous hypostatic union, human and divinity all combined in one and that one can make a temporary, a temporary sacrifice turn permanent. You need him. And so Isaiah screams out, and Isaiah screams it out this way. <clears throat> It'll be on the screen above. Prophesying about one to come. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that's led to slaughter. And like a sheep that's silent before its shears, he opened not his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He's put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. There's one coming. And he's not just coming to do some good stuff. He's coming to be the blood sacrifice, to be crushed. And then you pop on in and you get John the Baptist. John the Baptist is prophesying the exact same thing. I'm going to need you to say a word here in just a second. It'll be on the screen, so follow along. Just fill in the blank when we get there. And I think it'll make, bring some connectivity. John chapter 1, John screams this. John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't even know Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John the Baptist was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb. Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the continuing grand narrative. Are you feeling it? Are you seeing? It's way more. Easter's so much more than marshmallow peeps. It's so much more than resurrection eggs. It's it's a grand theme. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. 
It's one linear theme of redemption tied through a beautiful bloodline. And so then, my favorite prophecy, and we'll wrap up the prophecies, is actually by a demon. A demon. Troy, hold up. A demon's going to prophesy. Absolutely a demon prophesies. Listen to this, Mark chapter 1. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. This is Jesus. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Here's the demon. And the demon cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Now what did the demon say? Check it out. You're the Holy One. You're the sinless one. You're holy. You're without blemish. And you're simultaneously of God. You're you're deity. You're man. You're innocent. You're God. You're all of these things. And this demon looks and goes, Oh boy. (laughs) Oh boy. Because the demon knew Easter was about to bust on the scene. And so in this moment, we've got this blood substitution being foretold. The human divine one... Gracious covering, but at what cost? A slaughter. And mercy, at what cost? An innocent slaughter. This being the grand narrative. And now we finally make it to, boom, the cross. Same exact theme. We get to the cross, as we all know, is a blood sacrifice. But Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 16. The stunning moment where love and mercy meet. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and enjoy many things. He must go to Jerusalem and have a fun dinner. He must go to Jerusalem and sit down on a throne. He must go to Jerusalem and do what? Suffer. Suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and he must be killed, and on the third day be rose again. I love this, because Peter, I so identify with Peter. Peter, if you're ever one who's like, man, you know what, I never get it right with the Lord. That's me, number one, and that's Peter. This dude was a royal botch up, okay? So Peter, in this moment, he's like, no. You're not going to be the continuation of the grand narrative Easter theme, You're not going to be a lamb that's slaughtered. You're not going to be a a bull that's slaughtered. You're not going to do that. You're you're God. And then what does Jesus say to him? Peter says, Far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. But Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. I have come to fulfill the grand narrative all the way back to creation. It's so good. That's so good. It's so good. So Jesus, in other words, is saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And I also am the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. And so in this moment, if Jesus pulls this off, there will be no more blood sacrifice. There will be no more goats, no more rams, no more pigeons slaughtered because all lambs are indeed innocent, but Jesus is perfect. If he pulls this off, there'll be no sacrifice in the temporary sense because he's eternal, and so it'll be perpetual, it'll be a permanent permanent sacrifice, and the bloody substitution, as we all know, occurs. Now, where did the blood begin? 
lot of times we do look at Easter and we'll reflect back. We reflected back in gross detail on Friday night. And we look back to the cross where the blood sacrifice began. But Christ didn't begin the blood sacrifice at the cross. He didn't begin to continue the grand narrative at the cross. If you'll remember, Jesus, looking through the corridor of time, spanning all of this, you've got to believe Jesus goes all the way back to creation and goes, I know what happened in their sin, and the Father rained down His wrath on that lamb. He looks at the plagues and goes, I know what happened, and the Father rained His wrath across all firstborn. I know what happened in the law and how many bloody messes there had to occur. I know what the prophets are saying, and Jesus is looking through the grand narrative of time and he gets to the garden and in the garden he's looking back and he's so nervous and he's so anxious because of all of these things and in the garden he begins to sweat what? Blood. He feels it. He feels the weight of being the lamb who already is feeling the crushing slaughter to prove the Father's love to us. Wow. What a Savior. And so, in this moment, gracious covering, at what cost? At the cost of the Father sacrificing His eternal Son. Great mercy. But at what cost? Innocence crucified. We are a people, church, in need of Passover. Passover. That's the Easter story. So the million dollar question. Million dollar question. Did it work? Did it work? Like was Christ's blood enough? Or was this just, just another temporary covering? Is this just like any other lamb or ram that got slaughtered? Is this, is it, like did it work? And that... It's what will make us smile when we get our picture taken back there in that little photo booth. (laughs) That's what will bring the joy when you're sitting around the table before you're about to eat this lunch in a second and you're just praying, did it work? And how do we know that it worked? Well, it begins with a tomb. And so we've got a tomb. And in that tomb, they place Jesus' body. And He lays there. And... Question remains, are we truly covered? Is this just temporary? Is it just more spilled blood? Was it just a good guy who did some good things, who got whacked like the rest of people who get whacked? Is it just that? Because again, sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice had occurred, and every single time the receipt had always come back, insufficient funds, more blood required. It's just like yesterday. Me and my sons were out, hanging out, doing the guy thing, and we swung by Smoothie King. And as we go into Smoothie King, we get three items. And as you know, at Smoothie King, three items at Smoothie King cost you about $7,000. <laughs> and, so, and so we go through, and we had a gift card. Somebody had given a, us a gift card. And I'm like, hey, hey boys, it's on me. Sugar daddy got it. Plow. So he, you know, he, he goes off the thing, and you know, he's like, that'll be $637. And I was like, well, I don't know if the car's got that. But. So we swap the card, and sure enough, they say, well, here's, here's what's left. And he didn't cover it. <laughs> Insufficient funds. No, it wasn't a ton, 
But it was still some left. And that's what's happened through the grand narrative. Every single time, the blood of the bull and the goat and whatever has swiped the card and it's come back, I'll pass over that, but it's insufficient. I need more blood. More blood. So is it there? And we're sitting there left in an awkward silence because Christ is placed in this tomb. And to be honest, it's incredibly awkward that He hangs out there for three days. And in those three days, the cosmos itself leaning on the precipice of what's about to occur, begins to shake. Like the elements begin to shake. The ground begins to rumble. The veil in the temple is torn. The sun and the moon and the stars go completely dark. As we sang just a minute ago, tombs begin to erupt. You remember the verse that says, if you don't cry out, even the rocks will cry out in your place? Do you all remember that? That's what's happening. Jesus is placed in the tomb... And all of the elements are looking on going, if those humans aren't going to worship, by gosh, we'll worship. And they start shaking. Not only that, but the warrior angels. (laughs) Can you imagine what's going on in heaven? I mean, the eternal Son of God that they have known is dead and put in a tomb. And the warrior angels, which again, they're not cute, cuddly, go read the Bible. You don't want to wrestle with an angel. They're warrior beasts. They're standing at the precipice of heaven, right at the edge of heaven going, Father, you give us the go and we'll whack all of them. Just give us the go. They're hanging on. Not only the angels, but the disciples. Disciples thought it was awkward. They just go back to their houses. They go hide in the closet going, what is going on? They're dumbfounded. They're in complete disarray. And oh, the demons. Oh, they start having a party. They're rejoicing. They're rejoicing as though heaven had lost. They've breathed a breath of relief and it goes all the way back to the garden. Because this is what we're made for. And they sinned, and when they sinned, as Hebrews says, the Father didn't give them a second chance. They're damned for all eternity, whatever. And so they're going, damn y'all too. You be damned just like we are. And so he's in the tomb and they go, whew, we still got a chance at all these folks. We can get them. But oh, the joy begins. But it was a misguided joy, wasn't it? It was a misguided joy because God was just printing a new receipt that he had never printed before. He was printing a receipt that had a brand new template. And in this moment, he pulls out the receipt. And as we celebrate on Easter, which ties everything together, Easter is the moment that Jesus busts out of the tomb with a card in hand and says, rack this one full and it'll keep paying it off. Debt paid in full. That's the glorious news of the gospel. If Jesus be not raised from the grit, from the dead, then we're not paid in full. But because Jesus raised from the dead, our sin, and I'm not doing license to sin and all that kind of stuff. I'm just telling you how it ties into Passover. In our sin, we come before the Father, and the Father goes, oh, you got that Jesus card, eh? And He rings up the Jesus card, and He goes, boom, paid off. And we go, whew, I wonder how many more times I can come back to that one. Right? And we get a little bit nervous. And then we come back and we go, Father, this is how I've jacked up. I'm sorry, I've messed it up. And he goes, boop, paid off. And then we go, I know I've abused this. 
And I'm struggling and I'm warring and I'm fighting my sin, but I have jacked it up again. And he goes, boop, paid off. And finally we come up to him and he goes, son, let me take your card. It's just paid off in Jesus. That's how much the Easter resurrection Passover moment means. Grand narrative. And if Jesus truly did this, Here's what this means for you, believer. Believer, you ready? If Jesus raised from the tomb and was our Passover, then your sin is covered, you are permanently atoned for, you are welcomed home, you are made righteous, your brokenness is fixed, you are of the dearly beloved, your citizenship is secured, your Christianity is true, your holiness is attained, there will be a feast to come, and the damned are now made sons and daughters of the Passover King. That's who you are. So don't miss it, church. Don't miss it. If he was not raised from the dead, 1 Corinthians 5 is very clear. If he was not raised from the dead, then your child dedication moment doesn't mean anything. Now it was cute, cuddly, you got some good pictures out of it, all that kind of stuff. But if Christ be not raised from the dead, that means nothing. Your baptism means nothing. Your communion means nothing. Your worship means nothing. Your prayers mean nothing. Your tithing means nothing. Your missions mean nothing. Your Bible reading means nothing. Your community group means nothing. Even if y'all have got the greatest tacos this side of Guadalajara. Christ, if he is in the tomb, is no different than Muhammad. He is no different than Gandhi. He's no different than Joseph Smith. And he's no different than you. He was just a good man who did some good things, who got slapped in a tomb if he's still in the grave. But if he rose and he did, then here's what's true. The Father approved His perfect fulfillment of the law. The Father accepted His blemish-free and sinless life. He matched everything that was prophesied about Him in the divine coming of the Messiah. He stepped out of the tomb with a certificate reading death's defender and heaven's defeater. Uh, backwards. Back, you follow with me. He wins the game. He has the keys. He gets to reverse the curse. He gives life to whomever He chooses. He's crowned Lord of Lords. He's crowned Prince of Peace. He's crowned King of Kings and He declares, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because he can. And he's the only one who can. And now my blood pressure is up. (laughs) Really high. He's the risen Easter lamb. Whose blood does not fade off of the doorpost. But for those who've called on Him, His blood literally pulses through your veins in forgiveness for all eternity. That, church, is the scandal of the gospel. So Passover ended with people screaming in pain, but Easter erupts with people screaming in joy. And just honestly, giddy, like, really? (laughs) Really? So, may your green bean bundles be heavenly today. And may your resurrection eggs be spectacular. But may the grand narrative point you to so much more. 
This is not an isolated event. It's the grand theme. And church, one more thing, and then we're going to watch a little video. I always like to do this because I'm old school. He is risen. Hey, hey! (laughs) Uh, We're going to watch a little clip by a Scottish pastor. His name is Alistair Begg. Some of you guys know Alistair. He says in two minutes what I just tried to say in 40. I love you guys. Happy Easter.